Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Expect anything different. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. We are here at Bay Hill. Uh, two guests. We don't usually do this, but the special occasion. We have Mr. Curtis Strange. Welcome, Curtis. Hey, thanks. Nice and to Mr. be here. Mr. Marco Mira. Hey, how, Chris. How was Chick-fil-A this morning? Yeah, it was awesome, Chris. <laughs> it's a funny thing when you and I can bump into each other before we've ever met each other at the, at the drive-thru at the Chick-fil-A. At least you guys got something to eat. Nothing here, pal. He's cranky. I understand that. That's we want an we're extra. We're veterans on this deal. We want an extra cranky, Curtis. That's <laughs> you got him. I was pulling, yeah, pulling through the parking lot. We've never met before, and I just rolled down my window, and you start. I'm start smiling immediately, like we knew each other, which was great. But I kind of felt awkward. I was like, "You don't know me, but we're about to meet and do a podcast." So, no, nah, this is fun, Chris. Thanks for having us on. No, it's good. We want to. We love to get some get some old stories from back in the day. But first, what we're here at Bay Hill. What are you guys? What, what's what's your guys' reason for being here? What's your what's your affiliation with the event? What are we doing here? Well, you know, we both played here for many many years, but we're both ambassadors for Mastercard, mm-hmm. and Mastercard being the title sponsor this this week, and has been for. 15, 16 years, and 16 years, and great association with the Arnold Palmer Invitational, and especially our old friend that we miss dearly, Arnold. Uh, he's not with us anymore, but his legacy continues, and it's great that MasterCard has, has re-upped and, and been a part of this, and I just think it's a great week. It's uh, it, We're in Florida. The guys have, are ending a great Florida swing, but it's, uh, it, it's a special week because of, of who started this. Mr. Palmer, and at his place at Bay Hill, and so we're both glad to be here. I do some stuff for the family here uh, last year and this year after Arnold's passing, and it's just uh, it's nice to come back to a place you've played so many times and, and have so many fond memories of uh, being around Arnold. Mark, what's your first memory of Arnold Palmer? Uh, you know, uh, to be honest with Chris, when I first came on the PGA Tour, I, I grew up you know, idolizing Jack Nicklaus. I was that era. He was the greatest player, had the greatest record. Uh, I, I obviously knew of Mr. Palmer, but I, I never really had an opportunity to, to watch him play as much. And then when I came on the tour, I guess I got my card in the fall of 80. 81 was my first full year on the PGA Tour. Uh, I came to Phoenix, which was the second tournament that I would ever was going to play on the PGA Tour. And I was going to play nine holes Tuesday late afternoon at Phoenix Country Club. And I walk on the tee. There's no one around. And all of a sudden, this huge group of people come running over to the tee and I'm thinking I'm in the way there's going to be a shootout or something's <laughs> happening and I back away and I stand in the corner of the tee and who walks onto the tee Mr. Palmer the guy the man the king comes onto the tee I see him and he I said hi Mr. Palmer just kind of waved in the corner of the tee and he goes hey Mark what are you doing I'm like well sir I, I was going to play a couple holes but you know please you know I, I'm in the, go ahead he goes no son come on you're with me and as Curtis can certainly attest you know, being a Wake Forest man and having the career that Curtis Strange has had, you know, Mr. Palmer just, he'll take you right under his wing. And he, when he looked at you and when he talked to you, he made you feel like you're the only person he's, he's, he's looking at. He mm-hmm. made you feel like, hey, you're special. Come with me, kid. And he took me out there. We played nine holes. I remember on the first hole is a par five, and I, I didn't hit the ball that good, but I, I putted unbelievably well. And I make a putt for birdie on the first hole. Then I rolled one in on the second hole for birdie. Then I rolled another one on the third hole from 30 feet. And I think I made a 40-footer or five, one putt of the four out of the first five holes or something. And he was looking over me like, 
what the hell's going on here? Who is this guy? He goes, who is this kid? And let me see that putter. And I said, sir, you're going to be pleasantly surprised. Because he just, you know, he's always eyeing equipment. He's always fiddling with his equipment. And he turned the putter over. Wilson designed by Arnold Palmer. He goes, hell, I got about five of these at my storage. None of them work like this. And I said, well, sir, I, I won the amateur with this He's one, acting so. like he never made a putt in his life. Exactly. Really? Yeah. All those guys do. So, yeah, I mean, that was my really first experience. And then from that day on, uh, I, I realized, no disrespect, I mean, Arnold Palmer became my true hero. He really did. Mm-hmm. Were you extra nervous to play shots in front of front of him at that stage uh, in your career? I'm nervous playing shots in front of anybody. Yes. To be honest with you, no, but for sure, when you're playing with a legend like that, whether it's you know Jack Nicklaus, Arnold Palmer, you know some of the greats that that we we came along at the right time. I believe Curtis and I. Curtis is a year and a half older than I am, but we got to play with you know Arnold Palmer, Jack Nicklaus. Uh, we 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 were around Gene Serres, and we got to play with Miller Barber, Byron Nelson. Uh, it's, it's Sam Snead played. He was a big mentor of mine. Uh, all the old greats who paved the way for us, and seriously paved the way, driving this country from tournament to tournament, and and making paths, and and and, and ex, you know developing this tour back in the day that we you know see today it's sure. uh they're the stories that when you have a beer they're the guys you want to hang with because they're the true stories and a lot of them funny yeah uh but a lot of them you know hardcore tough guys too i love asking a lot of the young guys we talk to about what their first like tiger memory is or playing with tiger we had a couple guys from the web.com tour on recently and luke guthrie played with tiger at the 2014 honda you should see him light up talking about, and, but you don't well, see, think that's about the, it. See, that's the difference in you know the young kids today. That's as far back as they go. Right. I'm we, lucky right. that I'm that I know Sam. That's and why Byron I'm asking. And, and Arnold and Jack and 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 now, you know, we do know Tiger. We we're, we're in an area where we know both, and and each generation can say that. But you know, when you talk about the true greats yeah. of the game, yeah. I mean, seriously. Uh, Tiger is right there, you know, arguably the best of all time, one or two anyway, Jack Nicklaus, uh, you know, but then when you can go back to the, the triumphant of, of Sneed, Hogan, and Nelson, really, you look at their records and how they dominated. I mean, it's just, it's it's fantastic. And, you know, it, it, it goes back too far for even you. Right. Um, but I've been lucky enough to, to see and play with all of them. But And you're saying – you know, those guys are so much credited with what golf has become today. It Absolutely. wasn't the sport that it was that it is now. Yeah, it's not Tiger's tour. It's, no. It's really their tour, yeah. and we're just lucky to be a part of that. Right. You know, Curtis Strange, Mark O'Meara, and Tiger Woods. Right. So he certainly made an impact, though. Yeah. What was your first memory of, of Mr. Palmer? Oh, gosh. Um, going way back. Sure. Uh, my dad was a club pro. Um, uh, no reference to the club pro guy, okay? Uh, played a little bit better than him. Um, never played the Takati tour, but thought about it. Uh, uh, you know, my dad played against Arnold at amateur golf in Ohio. Uh, knew Arnold. Uh, he was on the Arnold Palmer golf staff for a number of years. Uh, and that means I played Arnold Palmer golf clubs for a number of years as a junior player. Progressed. Uh, went to Wake Forest on an Arnold Palmer golf scholarship. And held this guy in such reverence. And then you get to know the guy. And honestly, there's very few people in this world that you have, you hold up that it, to hero status. And when you finally, if you're lucky enough to meet that guy, a lot of times they disappoint because, you know, it's just. Never meet nobody, your heroes. Huh? Never meet your heroes. Well, <laughs> you know, a lot of times they don't because they're normal human beings and they're just very talented in what they do. Arnold Palmer, Arnold Palmer wasn't like that. 
he always he always impressed. He was he was as good as what you thought he would be mm-hmm. every day, and that's why he was so beloved. Not only in the golf world, but everywhere. And then I got to know this guy, and uh, and and on a personal basis. And I spent my honeymoon night, second night, in Arnold Palmer's house. Sarah and I did. Um, we we got married on a Friday night at six o'clock, and we were on a plane at ten o'clock to go to Pennsylvania to play with an exhibition with Arnold. And they were paying me a thousand dollars. I was going to travel the world for a thousand dollars back then. <laughs> I was twenty-one years old. Um, so we flew back to Arnold's house, spent the second night uh, honeymoon, and we came down here to Bay Hill for three days in honeymoon, and then off around the world. My wife was twenty years old. She didn't have a clue what was ready to hit her. So anyway, and then got to know Arnold, and and just uh, uh, you know. There's very few people in this world that make a difference in your life, and he did to a lot of people. You and I were talking before we were recording about something you heard recently about Dustin Johnson. You want to tell the story what yeah, you said? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, Dustin, it, you know, I try not to ever be the older guy that, oh, back in my day, whenever we could play or whatever. These guys are so talented and so good, and even better than their talent, you know, Jordan and Justin and uh, 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 Jason and uh, Ricky and and you can name them all down the line uh, are such good guys. I mean, they're they're great to be around. They're fun to be around. And I have to change my attitude. I never wanted to sit on the last green and watch my buddy win. Mm-hmm. I was getting the hell out of Dodge, but they do, and it's a it's a normal thing for them. But I heard something about Dustin Johnson that nobody's ever heard him say a negative thing about anybody. That's a pretty good thing to have to say about you. And mm-hmm. and uh, he's not only a, a wonderful player. And, and, and my gosh, got more talent in his little finger than most of us have in our entire body. But just a, it's, he's a nice person. And uh, I could say that about Arnold, but uh, he's, uh, these guys are so talented and so good and hit it so far and, 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 and are great with fans. Mm-hmm. You guys obviously individually have storied careers that we could, we could dig in on, but what, what do you guys remember the most about a time you guys went head-to-head against each other in a, in a major or an event? What event sticks out in your mind of, of memories of going against each other? I have one. Oh, here Stop we go. It. Stop it. I have one. Stop it. You know what? Oh, we God. were going head-to-head at Pebble Beach for the, for the, I don't know if it was the AT&T back then or not, and uh, this guy made everything. I mean, Damn right I did. How many times you he win made that? Five, five times. I mean, I'm thinking to myself, I actually acted like Arnold Palmer. This guy, he should never win. You he want to know a trivia question putt, real quick, Curtis? If you want to know a trivia question? If he, if he couldn't putt, he'd be picking cotton back in Thank California you. somewhere. You want to know a trivia question? What's that? It's on Trivia Pursuit. Somebody told me. What's that? Who's the last man to win the Bing Crosby Pro-Am? Ooh, that's a good thing to have on your resume. Really? 1985, baby. What that, were the courses that, that two dollars and fifty cent will buy you a cup of coffee, pal. Well, I think I won. <laughs> I think I won maybe probably fifty four grand or something. Oh no! But anyway, <laughs> this, we went head to head, and we had boy, we had a, it was nothing but he and I too. Mm-hmm. Nobody else was close, and we had a great match. And he came in on top. Mark and I played in a lot of uh, uh, or two or three team events together. Sure, and uh, had a great, you know, just we've been friends for a long time. Mm-hmm. So. Chris, I can tell you that uh, luckily Curtis has been a pro a little longer than I have, but. I think this is my 38th year of, of playing professional golf around the world. And, and I can honestly say that uh, the times that I've played with Curtis Strange, I would tell you that I would, I'd be willing to put my life on the line when he was in his prime if I needed somebody besides a guy like Jack Nicklaus. And before, this is before Tiger Woods ever came into the picture. If I needed somebody to make a 10-foot putt on the last green to get something done, that guy would be Curtis Strange. 
Are you just he, saying that because he's sitting here? No, I'm telling you that because he he, <laughs> he so made those putts guy. when he was my partner. And thank God he did because we won a couple of tournaments together because of it. What, what did you guys? What team events did you guys play in? Well, the very first, uh, what was it called back then? I think it was it we, the Shark Shootout. Yeah, the Dunhill Cup we played. Dunhill Ooh. Cup. We were victorious there, but Shark Shootout. We, we Japan were the together in team events. Ryder yeah. Cup. Ryder Cup. He, my, my, uh, another oh, memory gosh. of, of Mark go. and I were, here we go, 1985 Ryder Cup, Belfry. Mm-hmm. Now, it's my first one. I don't care. Yeah, I'm <laughs> nervous. Hard Come on, player. man. <laughs> so we're playing first tee shot, alternate shot. We choose Mark to hit the first shot because of <laughs> the way the horse, the horse course leads up to the way we play. You were the horse that week, my, that's for par sure. Par four, straight as an arrow, you Belfry, boring 10. par four. I hit my second shot out of the tented village, out of some bowl of pasta. It went so far to the right. <laughs> I took it off the right tents, off to the right of the belfry on the first hole. And, uh, you know, obviously I was extremely nervous, Chris. I mean, what could you say? Your first Ryder Cup, <laughs> I'm playing with Curtis Train. And, you know, he had a little more experience than I did, and he was a little cooler. Jeez, release the club a little bit, though. Well, I'm sorry. I was sake. worried about snap hooking it over in the left <laughs> gunch. So I hung it to the right. And you were just, just talking about limiting perfect. left miss. Yeah. I, I, I played the practice rounds, and I saw those tents to the right of the bunker over there, and I figured the pitch on the tent's just perfect. If I flame it, it's not out of bounds. It'll come right off the tent. I, he goes, Bumper bowling. He goes, we're walking off the tee. He goes, now that was really something to be hold. I mean, that was spectacular <laughs> tee shot there, M.O. I'm like, hey, just go find it. Put it up there by the green. I'll pitch it up there. You'll make a par. And I, I, I think we won our we match. We beat their day. ass. Come on. Yeah, you just got to get past ass. that first shot, right? Well, I mean, everybody's nervous on the first tee. Oh, yeah. You're not, you're not human. Oh, absolutely. Did you just want to have the, the tee shot on number 10? Is that why you uh, you, you wanted oh, the wow. even holes? Well, I laid up there every time. I oh, didn't, I didn't you're on the wrong that. podcast for I that. I didn't have – oh, sorry. Well, <laughs> you know, I did go for it one time. But, you know, if you, what a great match play hole. Mm-hmm. Drivable par four over water. And depends on how you stand in the match is how you – what your strategy is in the hole. But that, that goes way back. But uh, Ryder Cup is, is one of the greatest weeks you'll ever be a part of. And do you, do you guys – were you guys partners more than just that one time or – I just think that one time. I think how many teams did you guys play on together? Mm, I played on five Ryder Cup teams. I did two, five, and um, um, you know I what always your, say, what, what years were your eighty three, so, five, 80, seven, nine, and ninety five? Yeah, so I played eighty five. I would play with you in eighty nine. Yeah, so a couple teams we, we we paired up together. I remember that same year in eighty five. A couple things happened. One of the matches I played with Tom Watson as my partner. And of course, you know, on the first green, I'm I'm obviously nervous playing with Tom, and he's trying to give me like a putting lesson, and I'm like, listen, don't worry about me. You just need to play good. You know, I mean, I I'm just this rookie kid playing in my first Ryder Cup, trying not to throw up on myself, and here I got Tom Watson trying to give me a putting lesson. I I I, I hope you play well because if you don't, this could be a problem for our team. And we did okay, and. And Curtis has probably tons of stories, too. And then later that week, I was paired with Lanny Watkins, and we played against Seve Ballesteros and Manuel Pinero. And they talk about the Ryder Cup today, where the couple of Ryder Cup teams, I was on two losing teams, two winning teams, and a tying team. So I saw all aspects of what the Ryder Cup was all about. And it's interesting, because that first year, I remember they introduced myself on the tee. We were playing best ball against Ballesteros and, and Pinero, and and... You know, people clapped. They didn't know who Mark Romero was, and that was fine. But then they introduced Lanny Watkins, and they, like, booed. There was, like, about 15 people. Boo. I could hear the, you know, and Curtis will tell you that. So everybody acted like when we were played in America, if we won, you know, they were the ugly Americans, this and that. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. When we played at the Belfry, and you're in Birmingham, England, mm-hmm. uh, 
it can get a little You rowdy. caught some abuse over there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're walking off the tee, and I looked at Lanny. And I'm like, and Lanny came over and he goes, let me tell you what, M.O., you don't say one effing word to these people. I will handle everything. You just play golf. And you got to know Lanny. Lanny and Curtis go way back. He's got the head shaking and everything. We drilled him like six and five or something like that. And Lanny was just loving every minute of it. Does that fit into the spirit of the competition, do you think? Or does it border, at least in that era, did it border on the edge of being kind of inappropriate or against the spirit of the game? Or did no, you... I just think that it's a different event. You know, sure. golf's usually an individual game. And all of a sudden, you know, you throw the team concept. And for so many years, you know, when Arnold and Jack and everybody, the U.S. always dominated the Ryder Cup. And it never really became sure. a big enough deal until Europe won the Ryder Cup and took it away from America. In 85. When we, yeah, in, in 1983, right. my first Ryder Cup, there was probably 1,500 pe- people, 1,500 people out at Palm Beach Sunday afternoon at the end of the matches. We went to the Belfry in 85. And there's always a lot of people over there. And... We lost, and we came back in 87 to Muirfield Village, and there was 25,000 out there on Sunday. And that was the first time the Euros had won on U.S. Yeah, soil, yeah. Muirfield. But they, it, was, it changed overnight, mm-hmm. much like the America's Cup. Nobody yeah. paid attention until you lost. Mm-hmm. And uh, it changed a great deal. But it also changed for one very big reason, which for the names of Langer, Lyle, Woosnam, Seve, Torrance. and Faldo. Those five, that five nucleus was a big part of their, their Ryder Cups for, for 15 years, and they were five of the top 12, 15 players in the world. So they were tough to beat. Yeah. How different was it being, obviously it's very different, but you, you played on five Ryder Cups, I think you said, mm-hmm. and then you became the captain. Mm-hmm. Was it a different kind of pressure to become the captain? Was it, was it hard to not be out there playing when, when you were no, after I, I, that but it experience? Was, you know, I, it was the greatest week for Sarah, my wife, and I, Ever outside of playing, mm-hmm. uh, it was you know that you prepare for for a year and a half. Um, we were delayed a year because of nine eleven. That was my captaincy. Uh, we kept the same team. I was adamant about this is our two thousand one team. Same clothes, same everything, uh, and we went over there with a little different attitude, you know, about uh, uh, civility. You know, let's represent our country and our people well. Uh, they were the same way. Sam and I worked hard at that and i think we accomplished that uh but the guys i'm telling you what everybody asked about tiger woods he was the first in line to do anything the guys were fantastic uh they listen which surprised me a little bit they want to know what to do and where to do it and what time to be there uh the women were fantastic girlfriends spouses whatever uh it was it was a fantastic week we didn't win but it was still something i'll never forget how did it work out, and, and I don't really remember, what, uh, the team? Like you said, you kept the same team from yeah. 2001. Yeah. How different would the team have looked had you redone the team for 2002? Did it play to you know, any team's advantage? I never looked at that. Good no. question. And, and I, have been, I have been asked that because why didn't you change teams and continue the qualifying? Well, that wouldn't be fair for the guys who qualified in the specific amount of time to change the teams because some terrorists tore down some buildings in New York City. That would be ridiculous. So we just kept the same team. No more qualified. You're the team. You're going in a, in another year over to the Belfry, and uh, they did the same thing. And it was just the right thing to do. Also, the right thing to do was delay it a year. We were supposed to leave in two weeks to get on an airplane. We called the State Department. We didn't, you know, everybody remember this. We didn't know what was happening that morning, and you know, we didn't know if there was another plane out there. We didn't know anything. So the last thing on our mind was was getting on an airplane and going overseas. Right. And everybody was the same way. On my team, 
the fans, the, the organizations, and it was it was really a, a questionable time in our history. And so the last thing I wanted to worry about was the Ryder Cup team. No, it was you know you kidding yeah, me? The right decision. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it yeah. was way too soon. All right, some big news from our friends at Callaway. As of today, this Thursday, the new Rogue Driver is available on Callaway Customs. This means you can use the interactive configurator at a detailed personalization. There's two different zones that you can do that in, and there's nine different color options. There's black, red, white, pink, gold, blue, more. You can make the driver entirely your own. I just went and checked it out myself. It is super slick. I think I might even go, I might go with the murdered out black on black, or even I might add a little pop of green in there, but I don't know. I also kind of like my blue. I'm a blue guy. I'm always wearing blue. Uh, in addition to the colors, they offer a wide range of premium aftermarket shafts at no upcharge, grips in different colors to really bring it together and make an awesome black and gray Callaway custom leather head cover to go with it. So you can customize it for your favorite team, whatever you want. No more saying that you don't like the look of a certain driver because you can literally make this look however you want it to. Go to CallawayGolf.com slash custom today. Check it out for yourself. Start designing your rogue driver. That's CallawayGolf.com slash customs from Callaway, the number one driver in golf. Back to Curtis Strange and Marco Mira. Um, so before we let Curtis talk about 88 at Brookline in the U.S. Open, you were, you finished third that year. Is that right? Yeah, that's what, correct. What do you remember? God, most I don't remember you finishing third. Of course you would. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you? All I all I remember is is that uh, did you, you know, play Brook, that week? I'm sorry. Yeah, Brookline. What a great track. I mean, just an incredible track and. Uh, you know, I, I understand why Curtis Strange had the record he had in the USGA events and the US Open. Stop it. Stop no, I mean, he, listen, he drives the ball straight. He doesn't make any mistakes. Right. He's very methodical, you know, and he, and he putts good. I know you won't think he, he does, but he does. Anybody who's won the amount of tournaments that Curtis or any guy that's won 15, 16, 17, 20 times on the PJ Tour, you got to putt well. And I remember that week I was playing pretty well and, I came to the last hole, and I know I, I I was pretty sure I needed to make birdie to win. And I actually hit, a, for me, a pretty good drive up the right side of the fairway, but it just ran through the fairway about a, basically a foot, Chris, to be honest. And that's where, unfortunately, the deepest rough is. So I kind of tried to hack it out. It got up into the front bunker. I didn't get it up and down. I made a bogey. So I think I finished two shots behind you know, Curtis and, and Faldo, right? Oh, yeah. The little playoff? Oh, yeah. So they went, you know, an extra 18 holes on Monday. And certainly uh, Nick is, is well known for the grinder and the competitor that he is. So I imagine it made it even extra special for Curtis. It was disappointing for me to finish third behind those two. But on the other hand, you know, I, I, I had a shot. I mm-hmm. just didn't get it done. So were you upset to see, the Curtis, the, uh, the change in from the 18-hole playoff at the U.S. Open to now it being a two-hole playoff with your memory of a playoff? No, I'm not. Uh I think golf has changed. Uh, it's important, you know, I've done TV for 21 years. You see another side of the business world that uh, you appreciate. For the fan standpoint, uh, I was asked six weeks ago what I thought about it, and, you know, I changed my mind about the 18-0 playoff. It probably is the most fair way to do it. But think about the, the the volunteers have to come back. The fans have to go to work. TV, it costs TV. Fox, if we had a playoff this past year in Fox, it would cost them anywhere from two fifty dollars to $500,000 to bring us all back, to bring everybody back. Not the announcers. How about the crew? Uh, and just it's the right thing to do. And when 
think about a two-hole playoff or a sudden death. I would actually vote it for a sudden death. But they have a two-hole playoff aggregate, that which goes into sudden death. Uh, Sunday night on national television with that viewership? Yeah. Be the most exciting yeah. golf of all. And they want a winner on Sunday. Yeah. They, you know, we all want a winner on Sunday. There's, It's a business. People have things to do on Monday, and we have another tournament the next week. Right. So uh, it's the right thing to do. Okay. I'm supposed to ask about your twin brother at uh, at the U.S. Open at Brookline. All right. You want me to tell the story? I, I do. But I'm going to make a long story short. My twin bro- my, I have a twin brother who was a hell of a player. Played on Tour in 81, Allen. So Allen never showed up ever in my life when I was playing well. He just – he got it. He understood it. We'll watch him afar. We talk every other day. We talked every Sunday night and Monday morning my entire career. And he was the only guy that would give me honest answers about what he saw doing right or wrong. I like that. So <clears throat> he gets talked into coming up Monday morning for the playoff. My uncle, him, and two friends. They fly on a private airplane. They get in their rent car. They get two miles from the country club. They realize they have no passes for this playoff. <laughs> My bro- twin brother, identical twin brother, that's key. Oh, my God. So we'll just put Alan behind the wheel of the car. So they drive up to the gate like they own the place. Hey, morning. Hey, Curtis, how you doing? Kick his ass today, okay? <laughs> so he gets first obstacle succeeded. Get through the front gate. He's got shorts and a golf shirt on. Oh, no. So now people don't realize with the USGA that to get four free tickets from them or to get four tickets, you have to kind of promise your firstborn, okay? They don't like give anything away. Sure. So they talk their way into the playoff or to the clubhouse, get in the office, they get four tickets, okay? Now they got credentials. So now it's like 1130. We're playing about 2 o'clock. So Alan likes a, a, a refreshing drink once in a while. So next thing you know, it's about 12 o'clock, and they start drinking beer right there out in back of the clubhouse in front of 500 people or 1,000 people. So now you can just hear the whispers out there. Look at Curtis over there. Good, good God, is that a Budweiser? He's warming up just like I do on Saturday morning. So that starts. So now they stay there, and as more people get together, and I see him when I'm warming up on the putting green, get ready to go to the first tee, he's already got a stack of cups that they've finished off. Now there's 10,000 people out there. Everybody's saying Curtis is drinking before he plays the playoff. <laughs> Long story short, it was kind of funny. Uh, he watched the whole playoff. I, I loved him being there. Uh, he got to walk inside the ropes with Jerry Pate for ABC, the second nine holes. Uh, when I walked off the green and won, it was so loud. He was right there, and he screamed at me, and I didn't hear him, and they left. Now, who would I have rather had a beer with that night than my right. twin brother and my wife uh, and my uncle? Well, he left, and everybody says, why did you leave? He didn't need me then. If, I'd have, if he had lost, I'd have stayed. Wow. So it, it's a pretty cool story. I, he got to – the phone rang at 3 a.m. that night, and it was Alan, and we talked for an hour. That's cool. So it's a nice story. Uh, we, we, uh, we have enjoyed – he's enjoyed embellishing the story over the years just a bit. You hadn't – that was your first major win. Yeah. Sleeping uh, – I guess, how did you sleep that Sunday night before that Monday? You know, not very well, but who does? Right. I mean, you, you realize tomorrow is a is a damn important day in your life. And I had just, you know, four years before thrown away, well, lost the Masters when I felt like I really should have won. And this is, and I had a couple of chances in U.S. Open after that. But whatever, this was my chance. And it's going to be a big day. And any mistakes going to be magnified. So, no, you don't sleep well. You, you get up early. The hardest time, Mark, yeah. as you know, oh, yeah. in golf 
is when you get up early and you have that late tea time. Mm. What do you do then? Do you watch it on TV? Do you well, at the Open Championship you do, yeah. but that only gets me nervous. Uh, but you sit around, and that's before ESPN was just starting then. Chris Berman met me on the 18th green. Uh, so there wasn't much to do. So you read the paper, and you tried not to read about yourself, but you did. Couldn't help it. And when you finally got to the golf course at 1231 and, you know, game was on, boy, you know, my, my, my game started when I walked in the locker room, not when I walked on the first tee. And it was a very, I never, ever relaxed that day yeah. ever. Uh, it's, it was a, Hey, Mark's been in it. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 um, it's, it's, it's not easy, but it's not supposed to be easy. Right. It's if it was easy, everybody would do it. Yeah. And you're trained to do this. And you, and you do it your own way. To all the listeners that play in the club championship or the state amateur or whatever out there, they get it. It's just on a more of a, a bit of a magnified scale, but they're just as nervous as I was. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're trained to do this your whole life since, since junior golf. This didn't start on tour. This started when you were 9 and 10 years old. And this day, tomorrow, you know, was you know, as, good as thing big is as it gets. Now? They can go to the bar and start drinking some Budweisers before they get out from the course <laughs> if they're really worried about it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> That'll loosen them uh, up. It was great, and you know, and what do you do after you win the the Open Championship, Mark O'Meara, or the or the U.S. Open, Curtis Strange? You go have a beer and you and you sit down and just kind of say, "Wow, yeah, you know, wow." I, I want to get to '98 in a second, but you just mentioned the, the '85 Masters, and I, first you you say you threw that away. The first question I have: Can you tell the listeners what you shot the first round? I shot 80. I shot you, 80. I was playing really and, well. And I'd week, already won the, twice yeah. that year. Yeah. I was playing well, and I only say that not to blow my skirt, uh, wind up my skirt, but I expected to do well there. Mm-hmm. Snowman. Snowman. And you know hole? what? It's it's the way Augusta is. If you if you get behind the eight ball and you try to force the issue, and then you get to where we're, screw this, you know, I've had enough, and I shot 80. Uh, the next day I come out, I try, but – you know, I've already I got an airplane ticket in my back pocket. I'm getting the hell out of there. I've just had my second boy two weeks a uh, week before, so I had a reason to get the hell out of Dodge and go home. And uh, so I go out, relaxed. I birdied the second hole and I eagled the third. Game on. Now I might not make the cut, but let's let's have some pride and shoot a good score here. Sure. Because every every round helps you for the next year or the next week. If I play good today, I might go play well for the next month. That's my mentality. So then I birdied four. Game on. Next thing I know, I'm on the leaderboard. Next thing you know, I'm getting damn nervous out there. I shot 65. Hell, it should have been 63. I was pissed. <laughs> I was really pissed. And so anyway. Shot 68 the next day in windy conditions, and I'm two shot behind Raymond Floyd. Really? And then I had a shot 32 on the front nine the next day. And this, I had missed a shot in two and a half days. I never played golf like this in my life. And I'm thinking, when I went to the 10th tee, I knew, I knew it was still a lot of golf to be played. Mm-hmm. And I didn't play well, and I lost. Congratulations to Bernhard. But I'm sorry. I, had, <laughs> I, I wanted the green jacket. But anyway, hey, you learn from that. Right. Well, you birdied 12. I think you left. You had a three-shot lead when you were playing 13. and Kind of at a moment. And Bernhard was birdie, and he was far enough ahead of me. So it was really changing quickly at that moment. Okay, ask me some more questions. Two-shot lead. So, yeah, I think you're right. He birdied yeah. 13. It was a two-shot lead. You're in the fairway on 13. Yeah. You decide to go for the green. Yeah, that's what you do. I drove it well. 
I drove it too well. I wish that I'd necked it out to the right where I had to lay up, but I drove it around the corner. I had four wood. I'd rather have four wood marked than a two iron off that side Absolutely. hill lie. Absolutely. And I just hung it a little bit and it went in the creek. The really, really bad shot was the third shot out of the water. It was just a, it was a simple water shot and I didn't hit it hard enough. Made six there. Do you want me to continue on? Oh, this is great. So is anyway, story. so I, I, so now I'm, <laughs> the so listeners now I'm love thinking, this. they can so, relate to this. So, so now my caddy and I gypsy, who was an old, old character on tour. Okay, guys, you know, we, we still got the lead. Let's get, we're all right. You yeah. know, talking to each other. And, and, uh, so I parred 14, which is not an easy par in 15. I had drove it well and I got a, which I had like a four iron layup. I mean, not layup, go for the green. Like I had like 190 or something. And I flushed this thing and it didn't carry, but two feet short came back in the water. Wow. I hit a good shot. I'll never forget the announcer who will go on name said, it sounded like you hit it a bit thin bull, <laughs> you know, right at it. it came up short. So I made six there. Okay. Let's, you know, we still never tie mm-hmm. the lead a game on this play and hit part 16 17 and bogey 18 because i had to birdie but you know what it's just you never learn from when you win mm-hmm. you learn when you lose and i flew home and sarah and i sunk to the floor and cried yeah it was hard that was that was a hard one because it was my really first big chance and uh i had a newborn there um you know, now Curtis Strange is the choker, maybe or whatever. It was hard to overcome because I knew what other people were were think were gonna think about me, and uh, and I thought I was a bit of a hard ass, and now I'm not. And Jack Nicholas came up to me the next week and said, "You'll be all right." That had to mean something. Yeah, oh yeah, Are you kidding me? He said, "You'll be all right. We've all done it." <laughs> and I can't tell you how much that meant to me. Yeah. Uh, and the best thing to do was get back in competition. Jesus, get back in there quick as you can and. Hopefully you don't throw up on yourself the next time. Listen, I mean, I it's, it's such a whirlwind week, too. You thinking you're done, you play so well, and then get back up to the top. and then Yeah, and you, can you, you imagine the motions? Oh, no, I up can't. Up and down. But in your interview yeah. afterward, you, you had no regrets of any of the way you played it. And no, still and I still had no regrets. You know, well, if I didn't have, if I didn't, since I lost, I would be stupid to say I'd hit the same shots again. Sure. I'd hit, I might hit the forward again, but I'd hit a three iron. Right. I mean, I don't know. But, you know, you know, you lose so much more than you ever went on tour. Yeah. And Mark has his stories. I have mine. You know, you have to you have to put your boots back on and 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 get on it again. The margin for error on those shots is so so small, especially oh, yeah. hitting off oh, that yeah. hanging lie on 13 and whatnot that people yeah. never really Well, I mean, have it. you played there? <laughs> no, I have not. Well, we'll we'll, we'll work that out. But <laughs> 13 is a very very difficult second shot that has more slope than TV ever shows. Mm-hmm. And it it's it's a tough shot and you know the shots you see Seve used to hit or Jack used to hit or the shot out of the pine straw that Phil hit some years ago. They're incredible shots. Yeah. Because it's harder than it looks. Way harder. Yeah. So Mark going to 98. Uh could you have I guess it's 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 a funny time capsule I think in history to look back at Tiger Woods dominating winning by 12 in 97. You guys are good buddies and right. you're you were 41 when you won Correct. in 98. Yeah. Was there any I guess cuz the way people talked about that win for Tiger in 97 it made it sound like he was going to win every Masters going forward. Was it surprising to you to to be able to, after that performance he had in '97 to go out and whoop him in '98? Well, it, it was Chris. To be honest with you, the, in '97, remember the week before '97, this is kind of documented out there. Uh, we were at home in Isleworth playing, and I think it was on a Thursday, and we teed off on ten at Isleworth, and he shot 
29 on the back nine. Then he birdied a couple more holes. Well, lo and behold, he shoots 59. Mm-hmm. And and so I was I lost some money. We didn't play for a lot of money, but I lost whatever I lost, 150 bucks. Uh, and then the next day we went out on a Friday. This was in '97, the week before Augusta. And we teed off on 10. It was just Tiger and I. And I've told the story. He hit a good drive on 10. And he, of course, he makes birdie. And we had these one downs going. And so now he gets in his cart. And I had my cart. He flies over the 11th tee, par three over the water. And he's already got the ball pegged. I'm pulling up in the cart. And he's like, M.O., you one down press, right? And I'm like, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go. And he hit, takes out like an eight iron. I'm getting out of my cart with a seven iron. And I watch him hit this shot. And it takes off. And it's going across the pond. Hole in one. Jars it. And I, and I, I just... I walk over to his cart and I put a hundred dollars on a seat and I tell him, you know what you say to somebody like that. I said, he goes, what are you doing? I said, here's a hundred dollars. I quit. I said, you shot 13 under yesterday. You're three under right now. You're 16 under for 20 holes. I said, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. I did get my degree at Long Beach state. I quit. I'm going to the range. I'm not playing with you anymore. And I did. And he, he was like, what? I got to play by myself. And lo and behold, we go to the next week. To the week, Next week, we're at Augusta National 97. And he's playing with Nick Faldo the first day. Mm-hmm. And he's playing in the group in front of me. We're playing twosomes. And I, he shoots 40 on the front nine. And we're sitting on the bench. We're waiting on, on 15. Uh, and he's made a couple of birdies. Like he's two over now or something. And I remember sitting down next to him. And I look over and I'm like, give him a tap on his thigh. And I said, hey, man. I said, what? What, what about last week? What about when, like, you're playing with me? How in the hell could you shoot 40 on the front side today? I said, that's crazy. You know, he went on to make eagle on that hole. He buried a couple more holes to shoot 70 uh, to bring it back 40-30 at, at Augusta. And then he dominated, and he won in record fashion. And then when we came back in 98, like, you know, I'm 41. I've never won a major championship. I'm on that next best list to have never won a major, which is kind of actually a pretty nice list that anybody would think you're that good because i don't know if i ever really was and leading up to the tournament we played practice rounds as we always did i wasn't hitting it good chris i wasn't putting good i wasn't feeling very confident i went out the first day the wind was blowing uh this is before they lengthened the golf course i shot 74 i remember on the 10th hole i had about a eight footer for par i i it was a outside left a cup and i yipped it and i'm thinking I'm yipping them on Thursday on the 10th green. This doesn't bode very well. And I came off the green and I was all ticked off on 18 and shot two over. So I remember I was, Hank Haney was there and Hank's like, uh, I said, yeah, I'm yipping them. I'm either hitting it good and putting bad or I'm putting good and I can't hit it good. You know, you, to win at Augusta, you have to putt well. I mean, win any tournament, you have to putt well, but especially around Augusta National. you got to iron it well and putt well. Big know. time. Yeah. Big time. I mean, there's just not a lot of room for error, as you pointed out earlier, Kristen. And so I, I went to the putting green, and Hank's like, it looks to me like, you know, your eyes are aiming too far right, your putter's aiming too far left, you got to get your eyes aiming more left, your putter more open. And I'm looking at him like, are you crazy? Do you understand that these greens are running 14 out here, and you want me to do all this stuff tomorrow? And he goes, well, what's the, you know, I said, okay, whatever, Hank. So I went out and I shot 70. I mean, you're just trying to make the cut to play on the weekend, to move up the leaderboard. I shot 70, made the cut, even par. Next day I go out, I'm thinking, okay, just play well enough to try to make the top 24 because that'll get you back in. That mm-hmm. was the way it was back then. And I went out and it was a windy day again, and I, and I believe I shot four under par. Next thing you know, I'm in the press room and I'm going to be in the last group on Sunday with Fred Couples in 1998. And, of course, they reminded me in the press room about this list. And I, and I said, look, you know, I mean, 
I don't look at myself as a failure because I haven't won a major championship. When I first got on the tour, I just hoped to make a living, right? And, you know, a lot of things had transpired. So we get out there on Sunday. Last group, as Curtis said, you know, you're laid off the first tee and, you know, you're nervous and this and that. But everything just kind of fell into place, to be honest with you, Chris. I made up, I, I, I hit it, a pull hook off the second tee, up the tree line, wrecked around the trees, dropped down, didn't go down into the creek. So that was fortunate. Somehow I got it down there, hit it on the green with a nine iron and made a birdie. And, and just everything was happening uh, to where I made a bomb on number four from way left of the hole. I was just trying to two putt that top right pin placement on number four. Uh, I must have made a, I was just trying to two putt. I made a 60 footer. And when things like that start happening, you never think, I, I just, I remember being not only a player, but also a fan, right? Watching these events. And I say to people so many times, I wonder how could anybody make a putt on the 18th green at Augusta National to win the Masters? Just, I, I just don't know how you could do it, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. And, and to be honest, I don't know how the hell my ball went in either. But lo and behold, you know, we play around and we get to the, 16th let's see we were on the we we're on the back nine David Duvall was playing good all these guys were playing good and Fred and I were playing okay but we were a couple shots back and we got to number 15 and Fred had, had uh Fred had hit a good tee shot well actually it was way right there was no trees over there there's just the mounds and he flipped it up there on the green with a six iron made eagle I made birdie and now all of a sudden he's eight under David Duvall is sitting in Butler cabin with Jack Stevens at eight under and I'm now seven under and uh 16, I hit a good tee shot, hit it on the green, hit a really good putt. I remember it didn't go in, and I remember handing my ball to my caddy, and I said to I said to Jerry Higginbotham, I said, you know, Jerry, that's as good a six iron as I could hit, and that's as good a putt as I could hit under this pressure like this. I said, give me a new ball. I'm going to birdie the last two holes. Now, really? I, I didn't believe that. I don't know why that even <laughs> came out of my mouth. It was ridiculous that I said that because I, I don't even know why I said it. But, you know, Chris, I, I, I did it. I birdied yeah. the last two holes, and – you know, I made a really cool putt in the last hole that uh, put me up there in the champion's locker room with a green jacket. And, uh, you know, I don't think anybody expected me to win that week, including myself. And it, sometimes that, these things happen. I was going to say, is that almost easier to kind of be coming from behind a bit from a pressure standpoint and that your expectations on, on yourself are maybe less? Is well, that it's a accurate? perfect story with Curtis. Yeah. just talked about at Augusta, you know, shooting 80 the first round and coming back within, you know, two and a half days and having the lead with mm-hmm. the chance to win. So sometimes... As good as these players are, and there's a lot of pressure on all the players from our from the early era of golfers to our era of golfers to this young generation that we have playing today. High expectations. These guys didn't get as good as they are without a lot of personal pride, a lot of dedication, a lot of hard work. Uh, but sometimes, you know, you can get in your own way out there. And sometimes if you just, you know, it's like a locked door. Sometimes you're trying to get through that door. You're trying to figure out every way to get through it, pounding this and that. And all of a sudden you realize – Oh wait a minute! There's another door over there. I, I just go through that one. Uh, yeah, it's funny how that works out sometimes. It may not be the best question to ask two different two-time major winners, but do you think that people make too much of a deal out of major championships and the people that haven't won them? You know, that's that's really a question that's talked about. There's some of the some of the old timers, realistically say, we do put a lot of emphasis on four weeks a year and if you're a hell of a player Colin Montgomery and you happen not to be lucky enough to play well those four weeks for 15 years in a row and you don't win a major but you've on the other hand won 
eight order of merits in Europe, there's, it's a hell of a debate, isn't it? Right. It's a hell of a debate. And, uh, it's, it's very, very unusual that Colin with his talent wouldn't have won a major, but he didn't. Uh, uh, um, uh, the other European, that Lee took, Westwood. Lee Westwood, you really never won a major. Uh, things happen. I mean, look and last year, and they're Sergio. great players. Yeah, you know, Sergio. Sergio. I didn't. I didn't know if Sergio would ever win because he's getting up there a little bit, right? And you know, they talk about the putting and sometimes his attitude. But we were all happy for Sergio. So my point is, maybe we put sometimes too much. Emphasis on the major. Now, they're the four biggest tournaments of the year. Okay, yes. But that's the way we are. Mm-hmm. As a society, as sport, we, we follow our sports. Super Bowl. Um, you know, it's, it's Buffalo Bills losing four in a row. Or, or four. I mean, are they a bad football? No. They've made it to four Super Bowls. But there's 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 teams and, and weeks that sometimes you just don't perform and you're not a failure. I think look at Dan Marino. Yeah, one of the really? greatest quarterbacks of all yeah. time. Yeah, you know, never once. Which there's no question he was deserving of winning a Super Bowl. And it's so many other factors go into who ultimately wins, especially in football. Obviously, the, the team factor. But I think it can be um, there can be so much emphasis on the winning, and you kind of lose perspective on. I, I think people get labeled too early in their careers as having not won one. You mentioned kind of being a part of that list, and there's always a list of best players that have. Never won a major, but there's only so many trophies well, let me, you can Let me just out. put something else out there for, for the listeners is that, yeah, from the, from the fan standpoint, it's four majors a year and the players. But there are also two or three or four other tournaments on tour that we as individuals hold really, really high. Yeah, high regard. Okay? High regard. And, and it's just a personal thing. Yeah. You know, uh, I always wanted to win uh, Colonial because my teacher, after my dad died when I was young, was Chandler Harper. He won the PGA, but he also won Colonial. So I thought that would be cool for me to win a tournament he won. Uh, I always desperately wanted to win here at Bay Hill. Why? Because yeah. of Arnie. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and Mark has his three or four. So we all, and, and we hold them, and we get just as nervous those weeks as we do majors. So there are majors mm-hmm. that aren't majors. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's. You can you get, never know. You get punished almost for being close too. Like you get put in a different yeah. regard. And like I, I thought Phil was labeled as almost a lovable loser for so many years. I mean, you don't think about it now. He's won five majors. Well, you but, know, you think about Phil and what he just accomplished a couple of weeks ago yeah. when in Mexico City. There's an interesting story. The guy's won 40, 40, 43? One or two now. I think it's 43 now. 43 because he's got seven. He's, yeah, he's okay. won 43. The interesting fact about Phil, he's never been number one in the world. He's never won the money list, and he's never been player of the year. That's just really crazy. Yeah. We know sad. why, but yeah. Well, we understand why. I mean, if <laughs> but, Tiger Woods hadn't come along, but sure. still. Well, but it's if, crazy. Yeah, pretty, if, and if crazy. Frog didn't have, you know, when he wouldn't bump his ass, you know. But but we always said that about Nicholas, too, when I first came out. Oh, this guy would have been a hell of a player, but Jack beat him. Well, no kidding. Yeah. That's what happens. I think Phil does – I don't think Phil gets the credit – Oh, for, that's what I'm saying. For what he's done. It's incredible. Much like you know, Billy Casper has been always the guy who never got the credit for right. his great play. 50-some wins on tour. But Phil, in this era, and doing it at his age, and staying involved in the game, winning, you know, what, four weeks ago is incredible stuff. Standing up there on that 18th Now, there's been team. plenty of people that won at 47 or older, but, you know, he's won a lot of tournaments. Right. And you know, financially, he's set. So there, you know, sometimes the motivation wanes a little bit. 
Phil is isn't. I, I think that, he's going to be part you of know, like the story. Curtis, Augusta I thought, I thought the incredible thing was when I heard from someone on the 18th tee uh, in Mexico City in the World Golf Championship uh, a couple weeks ago. He had three wood off the tee. His ball speed with a three wood was 170 mile an hour ball speed with a three wood. And for those who don't know what that is, that's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. It's incredible for 47 years of age. Yeah. So I guess. I'm interested to kind of get your perspective on it, Curtis, because your your last win of your career was you were 34, yeah, right, in the U.S. Yeah. Open. Mark, you had you won two majors in your 40s. So is it is do you kind of look at the guys that play well into their 40s and wonder like how how this is like, how this is the case, how it's even possible, how how it works? No, like, I, I look at it in, amazes in all me. honesty. If, if I'm seriously honest, I look at myself and I'm disappointed after 34. Yeah, in, in my in my career. Um, no, I think in your 40s now, especially with with all the different workout regimes and, and, and the equipment and people staying in the game. No, I don't think it's any, it's no surprise. It fills at 47 or anybody winning at 40. I'm just, I, I'm personally, I'm disappointed in me. I took the TV job at 42. So mm-hmm. I made the transition early on, but, uh, I think maybe I just kind of gave up. I lost my, my drive and that was a big part of me. And for whatever reason, um, the mountaintop, the, the, what I, I don't know. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't see – hell, I think some of these – people have won at 50. Davis won at 50 years old on the regular tour. You know, can Phil do it? Hell, yeah, Phil can do it. Um, if Tiger stays in the game with his ability, if he stays healthy, oh, heck, yeah. It's one you know, of my he'll favorite. Play, yeah. He'll play – you know, he'll play on tour – I don't see him playing a lot of senior tour no. golf. <laughs> one of my favorite stats, though, is that Tiger won 14 majors by the age of 32 – Phil had won zero at that age. Phil has won all of his majors, 33, age 33 yeah, and after. You it's you just, know, the old adage, the golfer doesn't know how old you are. Yeah. yeah. But in your, sits there. in your experience, what, what allowed you to get over the hump twice at age 41 <laughs> at that age in your career? I, I, I wish I could answer that question. I don't know. I think he's still – I mean, I'm going to answer for you because he hadn't done it. And he knew he's a very modest guy over here. But he's incredibly talented. And there was one thing missing was the major championship, and there's always that carrot out there. So that keeps you motivated. Well, I think he well, might, I, it might not drive you every day, but leading up to the Masters or the U.S. Open or, or the other two majors, it's, there's, there's, a, there's a goal out there. Well, I've said this before. The greatest thing that happened to me was certainly finding the game of golf. I didn't start playing until I was 13. But when Tiger Woods came into my life, Chris, uh, in that 1996 when I got the phone call and they were moving him out of California into Orlando – uh, as my neighbor, as my little whatever, you know, mm-hmm. look after this kid, right? McCormick had called me. And because he came into my life, I wouldn't have won the two majors if he hadn't come into my life. Wow. What, just from learning from him just or motivation? Just playing with somebody that was just so, like, full of piss Keeps and vinegar. Young. Keeps you right? young, too, Piss and vinegar it? and talent. Oh, you know, I could yeah. never hit a golf ball like Tiger Woods. We can't. But when you play with somebody, it's like when somebody goes out and plays with tennis with somebody that's way better than you are, you may not be able to beat them, but all of a sudden – a couple of your ground strokes come back, and it's like, whoa, comes off the rack, and you're like, wow, that's, I've never had a, a ground stroke like that. And so when I was able to play and practice and be around Tiger Woods before he ever won a tournament on the PGA Tour, before he ever got his card, and he used to say to me, I, I want to play on Ryder Cup teams. I want to play with you as my partner. I want to play against you heads up down the stretch. He kept saying, how come you haven't won a major? I'm like, it's not like I haven't tried. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I'm playing against Curtis Strange and all these other great players. Uh, it just it just hadn't happened. But I, I believe because I was able to be around him, that, that kept me going a little bit. But it, it definitely made me a better player. That's you know, I laugh. 
talking about Tiger. I laugh at the young guys now, incredibly talented, hit it a long way, magnificent players. But when they say, I, I would have loved to have some of Tiger Woods in his prime, the hell you do. Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you something. The hell you do. I think if Jordan he comes did. back, if he comes back and if he would get to 80% and it looks like he's really close now, Look out. And let me shit. tell you something else. They talk about young kids, and, and I'm a great fan, trust me. But let me just say, if Tiger Woods is standing on the last tee at Bay Hill this Sunday with whoever tied for the lead, there's one rear end that's puckering, and it's not Tiger Woods. Right. Okay? That kind there's of still work. the intimidation factor. Everybody says it's not there anymore. Yes, it can be very quickly. And who was it to play with the first two rounds at, at L.A. this year? Was it was it uh, Rory and Justin? Mm-hmm. And they commented about it. Yeah. You know, they're like, hoopla. this is a totally different world. And we're talking of, you know, like. Curtis He's intimidating. Out, right. So, you know, you can have Jason Day and Dustin Johnson and Jordan Spieth and Ricky Fowler, uh, you know, and, and, and all the other top great players that are playing the game today. Then all of a sudden, Tiger comes back, and we witnessed what he's done the last two weeks. And now he's here, you know, at Bay Hill, uh, who's where he's won eight times. And, you know, he, look, the guy's an odds-on favorite all of a sudden. Out of nowhere, everybody didn't even know if he's going to play again at the President's Cup in oh. September. But he he's, got this, he's got this aura about him, and, Big and Nick, much like Nicholas. I mean, Nicholas, Jack is still intimidating at 77 years old. Yes, he is. Tiger is intimidating by the way he carries himself, by the way he plays the game, by... You know, not a lot of talk on the golf course. There's not, hey, how the how's the wife and kids? Right. You know, there's none, not much of that. So everything about what Tiger does, which is where you should be. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not trying to put you off, but I'm not. I don't want to make you comfortable either. You know, this is this is this is about me today. You know, so I I I, I love that. It's amazing how often the, the conversation gets turned back to Tiger. I haven't even asked a Tiger related question yet. We end up talking about. Well, him, I, I, we were talking earlier before we came how can on. You not? On yeah. On the, my Twitter account about two or three weeks ago, we were talking for two or three days on who the best pure ball striker was of all time, or a number of them. Trevino, Hogan, Mo Norman. George somebody Newsom. asked me. Somebody asked me, okay, who are the guys that you know that we don't know about? Well, there's, you know, there's uh, Sam Snead and guys who could control the spin, the trajectory, drove, hit it in the middle of the club face every time. You know, Steve Elkington, George Newtson, who was fantastic Canadian, and uh, – but it always comes back to Tiger. And he was part of the equation. I said, no, nah, great player. You know, Jack Nicholas was the best, maybe. We don't put him in the best pure ball strikers. Damn good, obviously. But, uh, you know, it always comes back to Tiger in this generation. I'm sure it, the, the interview resurfaced in recent years when you interviewed Tiger in 96. Uh, I'm sure you get asked about this a lot. You know what? I, I don't regret the first thing. Here's a kid who hasn't even played. He's finished his first round on tour as a professional. And he, I said, what do you expect? He says, I expect, I expect to win every week. Second sucks. And third, after I heard second sucks, I didn't even hear what he said was third. And I said, you'll learn. Well, they, oh, yeah, they can't. Hell, somebody tweeted me the other day. You learned, didn't you? <laughs> well, yes, I learned. I did. But am I wrong in saying a kid who's only played one professional round in his life talking like that? You know, really? I, I, I remember uh, <laughs> last year when I did Faraday's show, you know, he does that 60-second blip, right, in mm-hmm. like word association. So, of course, he throws out Jack or Tiger. And I'm like, look, I said, you know, 
when you go pure record, you know, you put Jack at the top of the list. And, and I was saying, so I said, and I said, I love Jack. I idolized Jack as a kid growing up. But I looked at the camera and I said, Jack, don't be mad at me. Tiger Woods is the greatest player I've ever seen. Bar yeah. none. See, Mark can say that because he saw Tiger behind the scenes. What mm-hmm. we saw, I saw a little bit of, of, we did a lot of TV and he played well on ABC. But Mark saw it back at home, the shots he hit at home, day in and day out. Whereas the people that play with Jack at home saw the same thing. But we, we only have so much of a, of a picture there of Tiger Woods. He saw And here's my take on it, every Curtis. Day. I, I would say that, like, uh, I'll never forget, Mr. Palmer came over one day and we were on the range at Isleworth. And Tigers, I, I had an old Cleveland classic persimmon headed driver in my bag. Just it was just messing around, and and Arnold drove up on the range, and he's like, "How are you guys doing?" You know, because he always loved, and we're hitting balls. And I said, "Mr. Palmer, watch this." I said, "T, pull that pull that persimmon driver out," and t- and Arnold saw it, and he's like, "Okay, here we go. This is going to be the real test." And he got up and just pummeled one out there about 300, 295, and AP was like. I used to hit it like that. <laughs> but the I hell think, you did. <laughs> I, know, I, I said I said to somebody one day, I really believe in the time I spent around this 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 kid, T dubs, uh, if 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 he had played all persimmon woods with the old irons, the old shafts, the old balls, and every other player on the PGA tour play, I think he would have won more tournaments than he actually won. I believe that. That's how much more skilled I thought he was than everybody else. You think the technology kind of neutralizes well, he, a little bit or helps people? Well, I think he had everything them. Jack had. Yeah. And and the only difference was that he had the mind. I mean, Jack Nicholas had the greatest mind. He had the greatest heart, right? And you know, you got to put those combination those things together. Tiger had all those things, and the thing that he might have had that was better than Jack was he had a better short game than Jack had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I agree with everything you said. I, you know, first of all, you, you can't compare the right, two. That's different true. That's generations. A good point. That's a good point. And in our game, most importantly, different equipment. Yep. But uh, if 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 all of our listeners would Google Jack Nicholas in, in his day and watch how hard he swung, phew, it, it, these kids have nothing on Jack Nicholas. Right. Well, the topic is raging in golf today about equipment, distance, yeah. and all this. Yeah. You guys have seen a lot of different eras in golf. Does it, does the game look like a totally different sport to you than the game you guys played in like in the eighties? The athletes are different. Yeah. That's the big game is different. Yes. For a lot of different reasons. Some that go on talked about the athletes out there. These, when I came on tour, I was bigger than average. I'm a shrimp now. Seriously. Yeah. They're six, four and six, five. Every one of Ricky Fowler is incredible because he's not. And, you know, we all thought we were pretty good athletes. You know, I played sports all through high school and, you know, thought I could shoot free throws and the whole thing. But let me tell you something. They, they're better. You know, they're sprinters now. We were kind of slow swinging marathoners. Yeah. They're sprinters now. Smooth tempo. They have speed. I had a speed with leverage. They have speed with their core and their body. They have fast twitch muscles. And, and it's, it's, it's a different game. Um, are their bodies going to hold up as long as Sam Sneeds did? Well, we don't know, but it doesn't look like it. Yeah, only but, time but will they, tell. Only yeah, time only time will tell. tell. Yeah. yeah, because, you know, the body can only handle so much the back and the hips, the neck. Uh, you know, and it's hard. You know, I mean, the statement, you know, we all saw what Jack said, and we all respect Jack very, very much and admire him and, and understand kind of where, he, where he's coming from on, on the issue that, you know, they need to roll the ball back and they need to do this. They but he said that. 20%. 
But my feeling Do with run the numbers is, on that. It doesn't work. Well, my feeling is 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 as long as things are legal, okay, mm-hmm. and the USJ had set a standard, you can't blame the manufacturers oh, no. for trying to take it to the edge of the limit, which they've done. They can't really, and so now it's just like tweaking here and there. But once again, when you when you when you look at the athletes and you look at the size of them and you look at the conditioning that they're in, I mean, back in our era when we started, you didn't go in the gym. I mean. There was no working out. I mean, yeah, we well, might there was some, little bit. Yes, but, there was but, some. But yeah, guys yeah. were a little bit leery of lifting weights. Sure. Oh, no, that's true. Your swing. Yeah. And, but now these guys are all pretty fit as you look at mm-hmm. them. And, but they also are able to build golf swings around the modern equipment now. Correct. Well, that's the, the difference. Yeah. We had equipment that didn't vary very much. Mm-hmm. So we had to learn how to play the equipment. There was one or two balls out there. That was it. Right. Titleist made a ball not six different balls. Uh, now you fit the equipment to the swing, completely opposite. Mm-hmm. And that's a good thing. That's great technology, and that's how they're maximizing their distance. But that's only the 0.0001% of the population playing this game. The rest of the club members, if you talk about rolling back the ball, who pays for this game? Right. Who, you know, who, pays, who, who swipes cards at MasterCard? The average player at the club. They don't want to hit it one inch shorter. Yeah. Uh, so it it will affect everybody if you if you somehow bring it back. Okay, and bifurcation. Do you we think want that them buying those uh, balls. I think that's the beauty of the game that we all play the same equipment, the same ball. You know, the guys on at the at the country club uh, today can can buy the same stuff that Dustin Johnson plays. Uh, I think if you if you bifurcate. That even sets up more problems. Where do you stop it? If you say the professional plays a certain ball, we're not talking about just the PGA Tour. We're talking about tours around the around the world. Does everybody follow that? We're talking about mini tours. Then we filter on down to the colleges, the AJGA. Do they which ball do they play? So there's two different balls. If you're a great amateur and you're playing the 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 fastball, the long ball, and all of a sudden you qualify for the U.S. Open. Now you got to change balls. Mm-hmm. Think of it in terms of like that. The collateral damage could be devastating. Mm-hmm. I, my argument against that would be they go to Mexico. The ball goes 15% further. Everybody's got to do it. Everyone's got to adjust. Tecate Tour. Yeah, the Tecate Cup. Yeah. <laughs> you got to adapt. you got to adapt. And they adjust. They, they, for one week, you don't hear the players whine about the ball going a different distance than it usually does. Um, and I think I, I, I worry a bit for the future of – where where are we going to put tee boxes? Well, that's, where are they that's go? the argument. Yeah, but the thing but is, in, is but, in, look, but, but, but in the USGA, and I love them to death. They're my life. They're all of our life. The PGA Tour and the USGA, but they a bit contradictory because they say that. Where does it go if if it c- continues at one percent every year? But they're the ones building new tees, rearranging Shinnecock and Marion holes. They're redesigning golf courses, the old golf courses. So let's just play the old golf course the way it used to be. If you want to challenge young players and the guys that hit the ball a long way, like a Dustin Johnson or whoever, if you look at golf, you'd have to say some of the most interesting holes in golf are not a 540-yard par four. Mm -hmm. Some of the most interesting holes in golf are holes like number 12 at Augusta National, holes like number 10 at Riviera, where you have to force the player to make a decision, to make them think. There's not a lot of thought process going on when you start to try to build a golf course that's 7,600 yards long. These kids can play those courses, 7,800. But they, they, they have a difficult time understanding how to manage themselves 
and play shots around a golf course like Marion or like Brookline. And it's not their fault. It's the golf courses set up and the equipment. That's the way they learn how to play. Correct. If you did that, they would learn how to do it. You know, the two weeks after Aaron Hills, which they shot 16 under par last year on a 7,800-yard golf course, the next two weeks on tour, 8 and 10 under par were shot. Right. Did Let's you have figure- an issue with the setup at Aaron Hills? Did you think it was too easy? Well, they're lucky the wind didn't blow that That's, hard. Yeah. <laughs> Looking like I, you want to I say do something. I do sound like the old guy now. I like rough. Sure. The U.S. Open should be the toughest test, and it's not now. Yeah. They're giving them too much room off the tee, and they're not growing the rough the way it used to be. Now, that's the facts. Um, the greens are the same. Uh, there's more runoff area. Uh, you know, they can defend anything with hole locations. Marion, even par one. When, when even par wins at Marion, the red flag goes up immediately. Okay, what did we do to the golf course? Because these guys are the best in the world. Yeah. And they hit it long enough, and they're good enough. To where Marion, they should demolish so I just think if you take Shinnecock and you make the fairways 25 yards wide, 23 yards wide, make them think around some of these old strategically great holes with the wind blowing yeah, throw the and wind grow in. some rough up. Firmer greens, throw the wind. The number, one, the number two priority in the game of golf is putting it in the fairway. Number one's putting. Number two is driving it and putting it in the fairway, which sets up the rest of the hole, your second shots. Mm-hmm. But that's not a priority anymore, See, especially in our national championship. Bombs away. See, I think I liked Aaron Hills one because it was wide and it gave a different type of like Brian Harmon's not the biggest hitter out there. It's a super long golf course. He was but fantastic that week. It, it promoted at least options and how to play a hole, right? If you narrow I the like fairways options. too much, you're just everyone's got to play the the hole and the course the exact same yeah. way. Whereas if if the course is well designed and set up for where certain sure. parts of the fairway give you a better angle and certain parts certain pins you're going to get to a better angle. I think that you know some of the bombers might get blinded by. I got a super wide fairway here. I'm going to bomb driver. They end up on the left side of the fairway and can't get to a. Well, that's pin. why Aaron Hills wasn't terrible last year. I mean, I actually, if the wind would have blown as Mark blowing like it always does, mm-hmm. as Mark said, and they had the rain, so it softened the course. Absolutely, a bit. it was a perfect storm against the USGA. It would have been a pretty doggone good test. Yeah, but it was so different than what we're used to seeing. No rough around the greens, all runoff, 40, 50 yard wide fairways, literally 40 or 50. So. You know, once every blue moon, I don't mind a U.S. Open test like that to yeah. do something different. But uh, it, it seems to be more the norm now. Yeah, I thought, I thought the, the no rough around the greens was interesting as well. Your, your misses are sometimes punished worse. The ball's going to run out further and into worse spots. And picking shots off some of those lies is challenging. And I know that that's at least in U.S. Opens where there's deep rough around the greens, your ball still stays pretty close to the hole. No, that's a good argument. Yeah, yeah good Pinehurst argument. was that way. Yeah. You yeah. Know, yeah. When Payne won there or when Retief won there, it's that way, right? Mm-hmm. Chasey running off. And, and you're not, you have to produce different you know shots right. to where it has to use your imagination a little bit more. What do you guys think of, and especially you know when you won in 98 at Augusta, the golf course now looks completely different right. than it does does then. What – I guess, do you guys like what Augusta has turned into? And if not, what would you have done with? Obviously, they needed to update it for modern technology. You know, but I, I, I would say that I always felt like to win around Augusta National once again, you had to have good iron play like Curtis pointed out earlier. But you have to have a good imagination. And that's why the European players have had a nice record at Augusta National. You know, your Seves, your Jose Maria Lafable, your Langers, your your Ian Woosnam, Sandy Lyle. I mean, the Europeans, if you look at it, that's what was always strange to me, where take the Open Championship, which is Lynx golf, which is very foreign for most American players, but yet the American players have done extremely well in the Open Championship. 
on Lynx Golf. Well, the Europeans have come over, and, and I think when, you know, I understand why you had to lengthen it. I, I believe that, you know, Hoot, uh, Billy. Hoot, no, Hootie started. No, Hootie. So right. Hootie Sorry, Johnson, yeah, yeah. the chairman, you know, felt like he wanted driving to be more important part of the game. I would tell you once again, like I, I played, when they first made the big change, uh, Tiger and I went up and played uh, in November. And what Mr. year was this? Oh. This was like in 2000. Oh, was when they lengthened it. Yeah, so it was in two, so 2002 in the fall, after they opened the course in the fall. We went up and played. And Hootie Johnson came out in the cart and, and watched Tiger and I play. And we got done, and we he goes, I want to meet you guys up in the championships. I'll have lunch with you guys in the championship locker room. So we go up there. And Hootie came in, and he goes, okay, what do you think? And then, of course, Tiger's like, okay, M.O., you go first. I'm like, well, I said, Mr. Johnson, to be honest with you, I was lucky as hell to make the putt on the 18th hole. I said, because that's a completely different golf course out there now. And then he looked at Tiger. He goes, what do you think, Tiger? He goes, I absolutely love it. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, it's, 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 it's a big golf course now. It really is. But, you know, last year was exciting. You know, I think people always, and Curtis knows, he played tons of Masters tournaments. That the roars around Augusta National in the back nine on a Saturday afternoon or a Sunday afternoon were always special. There's nothing like it in the game. Very, very special. And I, I said to, to Mr. Johnson that day, I said, you know, the only thing I don't understand, I understand making it longer because the kids hit it so far. You don't want them flying over the bunkers on 18. I get that. I said, but what I don't understand is I said, if you want to put the fear in a guy like Tiger Woods or Phil Mickelson or VJ, because they were the three kind of long hitters at the time, I said, to me, you need to speed the course up. And when you grow a secondary cut of rough out there, that slows the course down. So that helps them. Not, not just lengthening it, but you've really helped them because you've slowed the course down. Because anytime a golf course plays faster, where your ball, I said, it'd be better if you just made the fairway and brought the pine needles out. So your ball just chasing into those trees. And when it gets in the trees, everybody's on the same game. You sure. can't, you know, you can't cut down a tree out there with your golf ball. And we get back to driving the golf ball being the second most important priority. And it really isn't at Augusta or it's more so now than it used to be, mm -hmm. but you still, I can't help it. You got to put the ball in the fairway. That's the way it's always been. And it's and it's not now. It's it's changed. Mm -hmm. Even on tour, it's changed. Yeah, I think it. The my issue with it is the course is very different than what Bobby Jones and Alistair McKenzie had set it out to be, and that they wanted this super wide to promote yeah, yeah. Yeah. playing yeah. angles, playing the proper angles. And right. you read about yeah, that book, right. and I think it was that all the way up until about '99 when they started planting trees and bringing in the the the, for the second cut, and then of course lengthening it. And I think a lot of those holes kind of lost the character of their original design, like especially 7 no, and 11. No, you're right there. Yeah, I mean, 7 and 11. 11 or, yeah. 17, uh, 5 is going to completely change with the new T. Yeah. Well, it's yes. interesting because yes. like 7, I remember playing with the, with the kid in the in early 2000s before they actually lengthened it. And I said to him one day, we were all playing a practice run, and I said, you know, Tiger, I don't understand like why you just don't stand up here and hit driver off the seat. Right. Just drive it up there, and you got an eighty-yard shot. And he goes, "Wouldn't that be?" I've always Sorry. hit. I've always hit like two and three irons. I, I said, "I understand that," but I'm just trying to tell you that actually, when you get far enough up there, the trees kind of stopped, and you you and so you know what? That week he hit driver. He wrote that team. in his book too about you. He about birdied three. Talking about that. Three three out of the four days, he birdied the hole with driver off. The yeah. Team. Think about how exciting and fun that hole would be now with how a lot of people hit it long ways. Right. That would be one of the greatest drivable short par fours in the world because oh, around yeah. the green, it's so penal. Right. Yeah. I mean, when you lay up, when Tiger lays up, 
now he's now he's playing with in my game, you know. Now I have a chance. <laughs> but uh, and and that's true over a course of a year. But seven could be the grandest short par four in the world. Yeah. And now they play off a downslope too. Oh, it, yeah, it was the hardest non-iron shot or wedge shot you ever have on tour. Mm-hmm. Uphill, small green, hard green, downhill lie, and you know if you miss the green, par is not part of the picture. Right. Yeah, that's why I think I, I think my criticism is a lot of the holes have been changed. I think in an effort to protect par, and right. I think par just in general can be a bit over overrated. I don't know if I, I agree with that. Protect okay. par, I think protect the length. Yeah, protect the length. They want they want the players of today to hit the same clubs into the first hole that we hit. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if that's the case. They, they're better. They're longer. They're stronger. They should hit shorter shots, but to protect a little bit the golf yeah. course, but the length. Uh, of the golf course the way it used to be. I think the most interesting holes are half par holes just in general. I love a hole that maybe should be a birdie hole and maybe it, or I guess now it's a half par hole over par and that it's, it's almost like it plays like a par five. Now it's one of the more difficult holes in the front, but we could, we could get deep lost in the, in the mix mm-hmm. on this, but I, we've taken up enough of you guys time. I really appreciate it. This was super fun hearing stories from you guys and everything. So Curtis, Mark, thank you for taking the time. Love to do it again sometime. Thanks for having us on. Thanks Chris. for having awesome. us. Yeah. Thanks. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Johnny, yeah. that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Expect anything.